Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. You look at Jesus Christ and you can see what happened to those hands. It's for you and for me. You cannot talk of reconciliation unless you ask the question of our alienation and the atonement. The rise of these secular gods presents the most serious challenge to the absolute claims of Christ since the founding of Christianity itself. So how should Christians respond? Hello and welcome to Let My People Think with Ravi Zacharias. Today, Ravi shares the conclusion to his message titled Atheism and Humanism, A Culture Without God, as he gives some practical information to help you articulate why Christianity stands above other gods. Let's rejoin Ravi now. Number one, the reality and the mystery of evil. Secondly is the quest for justice. Think of how we cry for justice, how we long for justice. You know, when I was a college student uh, in the University of Delhi, uh, we used to sit on stools uh, in that class and uh, had to write on our lap. And I remember one day as uh, uh, the teacher had come in, and we all used to stand when the teacher came in. And as we were about to sit down, the guy sitting behind us with his foot knocked the stool off from the fellow in front of him. The stool was moved away, and he came crashing down onto the floor. I'd noticed it at the last minute, tried to grab the stool and pull it back, but I was not in time, and he fell. And the teacher just looked in my direction and thought I had moved the stool. He said, Zacharias, get out of the class. I said, but sir, he said, get out. I said, can I? He said, get out. And the guy behind me, chuckling under his breath, and puts the stool back so that the student could sit. You know, I wandered around that campus. That happened about 50 years ago. I still remember it. That I was unjustly put out of my class and some scoundrel who did it looks like the hero. In that tiny little event, you say to yourself, that's not right. It's not fair. At least the professor ought to have given me a chance to explain what really happened. Think of the world in which we live with so much of injustice today. And the world struggles and struggles and struggles to find answers for justice. A 14-year-old boy in, uh, in uh, Bosnia during the peak of the war says this, so many people have been killed fighting for justice. But what justice? Do they really know what they are fighting for? The weather is growing colder now. No longer can you hear this hear the singing of birds, only the sound of children crying for a lost mother or father or brother or sister. We are the children without a country and without hope. Aristotle made this comment, justice alone of the virtues is thought to be another's good because it is related to our neighbor, for it does what is advantageous to another. 
Now the worst man is he who exercises his wickedness both towards himself and towards his friends. And the best man is not he who exercises virtue towards himself, but he who exercises it towards another. For this is a difficult task. Justice in this sense then is not part of virtue, but virtue entire. Nor is, this contra nor is the contrary injustice a part of vice, but vice entire. Aristotle in his ethics, he says justice is the entirety of ethics. Injustice is the entirety of being unethical. Some years ago, I was doing an open forum with Hugh Ross, Alvin Plantinga at, at the University of Ohio, and uh, I'm sorry, Ohio State. And as we were on a forum, uh, Hugh Ross and myself, as you know, he's an astro astrophysicist. So this, the issue of science was being discussed, and a woman phoned really angry. And she started shouting at the moderator, who, by the way, was an atheist, talking to both of us. And she said, do you know what these two men are about? He said, what? It has nothing to do with the created order. It has nothing to do with the age of the universe. These people are about one thing, to deny us our moral right to the baby in our wombs. That's what this is all about. They want to deny us our moral right to our own bodies. Huras and I were stunned. We're not, even, we're not even talking about it. And the moderator said, what do you want to say to her? So I said, all right, here, let me take this. I said, ma'am, you're talking about a moral right? She said, yeah. I said, if a plane is flying and crashes and 90 people live and 10 die, you know what one of you would come up at an open forum and say to us, what kind of God is this who chooses that 90 should live and 10 should die? That is an immoral God. Now, when you are talking to us about the right for you to take the life of the baby in your womb, you're talking about that as a moral right. But if God had chosen 10 to die and 90 to live, you'd call that as an immoral decision. I said, I'll be happy to answer your question if you can explain this conundrum to me. She hung up. You see, we assume categories. We assume words. We assume representations. Think of all that is going on in the news media today questioning character. These are the same journalists who are relativists to the core. Their worldview is built on a foundation of no absolutes, but you violate an absolute of theirs and you're in trouble. So they use categories with which to come down upon us and they switch categories to defend their own libertarian way of living as Oz was talking about it this afternoon. Can you really talk about justice if you do not invoke an ultimate judge and a point of reference for all judicial matters? And so I raise the first question. Can you talk of evil without assuming a moral framework? And can you talk of education without first looking inside the human heart? Second, you cannot cry for justice unless you know the justifiable source of all moral law. The third is the hunger for love. So we talk about evil, we don't know how to define it. We talk about justice, we don't know where to go for an ultimate definition. And now it comes to this existential struggle of this thing we call love. You know, some years ago, 
during the Middle East uh, crisis in the Iraq war. I had the exact uh, date and time placed here, but a fascinating story came to mind. And that was this woman who was atop with the American troops and all of a sudden some grenades landed and exploded. And she lost her right arm. And many were badly bruised. A rescue mission came, put them all into the jeep and were taking, and she was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. They said, are you in pain? She said, yes. Said, we'll get you help. She said, no. I've lost, it was actually her left arm. She said, I've lost my wedding ring. I've lost my wedding ring. She didn't mention her arm. She mentioned the ring. And a couple of the boys got out of there in a cloak and dagger operation, got to that roof and saw her hand lying there with the ring still in, and got that ring out, even picked up the hand. She was being honored at one of the Super Bowl games and she flashed that ring and said, they risked their lives to get me this ring back, which was something I never wanted to lose because of what my marriage means to me. One of the Iraq veterans who had lost both of her legs, was being interviewed on a morning show. Beautiful woman, no legs. And they had given her some prosthetics and for the first time she could stand on artificial legs. The interviewer wasn't expecting her answer. The interviewer said to her, what do you like most about being able to stand again? She said that I can be hugged once more. That I can be hugged once more. That embrace, that hug, that tells you you're loved, that your friend cares about you. So many people in the world, especially the elderly, will tell you what it means most to them when they are visited, is that somebody even reaches out and touches them. They've lost the thrill of being touched and being embraced. Some years ago, I was in Ecuador preaching and a man came up to me and said his daughter was getting married. It would be a great honor if I would preach at her wedding. I didn't even know them. I said, have they had marital counseling and all of that? Oh yeah, 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 they had all of that. So I had no idea what I was getting myself into. When I got there, I found out that she had a young boy and uh, he was going to be walking up the aisle with her, which was fine. I just didn't know what the story was, so I didn't know how to even speak. It was raining outside, and they had put crepe paper along the center aisle for the bride to walk. It was very spartan. The decorations were rather crude. And any time somebody stepped on that crepe paper, they said, no, 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 move out, move out. It's for the bride, you know. So I was waiting in the front. And then the bride arrives, but before the bride comes, the groom is walking up, and because his shoes are wet, with every step he's ripping that crepe paper, and the footmarks are being shown, and the trail of that rip, and that poor bride was walking up that damp, torn crepe paper, walking with her son, holding her hand. Then they come up to the front. And before I preached, they said the husband was going to give a word of testimony. And it was being interpreted to me. He said, I was a drug runner. I was running drugs to the United States 
every second month, taking it into the country. He said, one time when I went, as I was showing my passport, a man flashed his badge and said, FBI, and said to him, come on over to the side room. I said, is this your name? He said, yes. I said, no, it's not. You have been here under eight different passports with eight different names. We know who you are. You are now under arrest, and we are taking you away for questioning. He said, I was stunned. He said, I thought again and again I was getting away with it. They knew every time I had come in under a name. And finally, in a plea bargain, when I promised to tell everything, they reduced my sentence. He said, now I have found Jesus Christ. And this is my beautiful wife-to-be. And this young boy will now become my son. I don't know whether she'd lost her uh, husband a long time ago or what, but she was now a single mom with this young boy and with the ripped crepe paper in the middle of that aisle. And I'm standing listening to this story and my heart was beating so hard. I thought to myself, Lord, I know so little about this couple and I'm about to give them a message on marriage. The FBI knows more about this guy than I do but you know everything about them. And looking at his face beaming at his bride and his son-to-be told me everything I needed to know on the hunger of the human heart and its longing for love. Everyone in this room would trade the whole world away to know the genuine beauty of an exclusive love that will honor you as the person that God singularly has chosen for you as individuals. Ladies and gentlemen, the quest for evil, the quest for justice, the quest for love. You cannot talk of evil without assuming a moral framework and locating it in the heart of man. You cannot cry for justice unless you know the justifiable source for all law. Number three, you cannot say the answer is love unless you ask the question of life's intrinsic worth. What is it that we actually ultimately long for? We must define evil. We must understand justice. We must be able to explain love. And the last thing I say to you is this, our inescapable dependence on forgiveness and reconciliation. Tell me anyone here who doesn't long to know that you are completely forgiven. that there is no accuser against you. Whatever you've lived like, that you have an advocate with the Father, you have one who has forgiven you and cleansed you and is willing to welcome you back in all of the horror and all of the lostness and all of the terror that stalks our lives. I don't know where you are at in your life, but I tell you what, living with guilt and living with remorse is the most painful kind of existence with which to live. When you're afraid that somebody is going to uncover who you really are. When I was teaching in Nyack in the days of the 80s, one day my wife and I were driving to our home and we saw a little group of boys playing soccer. And there's one boy with a helmet on and you looked at the face and you said, what on earth is that? Face looked terrifying. 
I went back to my, I was a faculty member, I said, you know, there's a little boy playing out there and what happened to him? Then I found out who he was and I met the father, Mike Sonnenberg, who was a professor of science at Nyack College. When he was a babe in arms, Joel was sitting in the back seat of the car and he was driving on the New Jersey Turnpike and he was trying to, in front of him was a car that was about to pay the toll and then the Sonnenberg car. An 18-wheeler came crashing down that lane and smashed this car and set it in flames. His mother and father were able to get out of the car, but they couldn't unstrap little Joel. And his body was so burned that she finally said, let him be, let him be. The melt of whole flesh was melting on him. But they rescued him. And the only part of his body that was spared is where the diaper was, which didn't completely burn him. Scores of surgeries. The, the bone in the skull was being shown. You looked at the boy and he would say he got used to the fact of shock when people would see him in school. The years went by, 19 years went by, they found the driver who was guilty. He had run away into Canada on a New York throughway. He'd been picked up by the cops. And the guy looked at the name and said, I, I recognize this name. And they put it to the check. He was the one who had run into this car. He was brought to trial. And... Uh, uh, Brian Gumbel was one of the anchors at that time, years ago, I think on CBS, and he had the Sonnenberg family. And they showed a clip from the trial. And in that trial, the man who was guilty was sitting there with his head down, and Joel Sonnenberg said, I want you to look at me just once. I want you to look at me just once. And the guy refused. He said, Sir, please look at me and what you did to me. And there was stillness. And the guy lifted his head and looked at this marred body. You know, Joel became the, my son, my son went to Tele University. Joel became the student body president out there. He's now a pastor in Fort Lauderdale. And Joel finally looked at him. And the guy looked at Joel. He said, I want to tell you something, sir. You ruined my life. You ruined my life, but I am a Christian, and I, for the sake of Jesus Christ, who loves you, am willing to forgive you. The judge, stunned, went to the back chambers and could not contain the tears. He said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Years ago, I was preaching in San Juan. The pastor of the church was Carmelo Terranova, fine man, now passed away. And I was sitting in his study, wonderful man. And on the wall was a picture of a little girl sitting on the lap of Jesus, looking at his hand. And in Spanish it said something, I didn't know what it meant. I said, Carmelo, what does that say? He said, it says, what happened to your hands? A little girl on the lap of our Lord looking at his hands and saying, what happened to your hands? Do you know what happened to his hands? What happened was the very reason you and I are here tonight. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here.
that he has you forgiven. He has you and me cleansed. The weight of guilt and shame and pain. Uh, my, my colleague, Vince Vitale, says it best. And he said it in, in uh, Lima that night with 13,000. I'd finished preaching and we had gone up to the front and he then said, yeah, and actually it was a different venue. He said, Ravi, let's give an invitation. And he went up to the microphone and he said, do you know that Jesus is also willing to take your pain and shame, not just your sin? And the altar just got crowded. And so I bring this to a conclusion and I say to you, if you go to Islam, you will never be told you're forgiven. If you go to Hinduism, you will never be told you're forgiven. It's your karma. Islam, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. You look at Jesus Christ and you can say, what happened to those hands? It's for you and for me. You cannot talk of reconciliation unless you ask the question of our alienation and the atonement. Number one, you cannot, cannot cry evil without a moral framework and the heart of man. Number two, you cannot cry for justice without a justifiable source for moral law. Number three, you cannot answer that the answer is love unless you grant the question of intrinsic worth. Number four, you cannot talk of reconciliation unless you ask the question of our alienation and atonement. You see how beautiful the gospel message is. Here is love, wide as the ocean. There's a wideness in God's mercy that is wider than the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice, which is more than liberty. When the young Rwandan said to me, how do you talk to my fellow countrymen with all of the brokenness? I said, the only answer I can give you is you speak to a wounded person through the wounds of Jesus Christ. The only answer I can give you is you speak to a wounded culture through the wounds of Jesus Christ. You speak to a wounded individual through the wounds of Jesus Christ. That's why the hymn writer says, what language shall I borrow to thank you, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end, or make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. God bless you, friends. We have a great savior. We have a great message and we have the great answers and the questions are asked and they are only legitimate if Jesus Christ is the answer. They are delegitimized without the Judeo-Christian worldview. So you question the answers of the skeptic and question the questions of the skeptic knowing that Jesus gives legitimacy to the question and what is more important, he gives the only answer that ultimately makes sense. Please pray with me. Father, I come before you tonight. Lord, you've prompted in my own heart the need to be forgiven. And ladies and gentlemen, across this vast auditorium, there has to be some man or some woman or some young person who knows they need to be forgiven. Truly forgiven by the blood of Christ, so that you can walk out of here and say, tonight I'm a new person, I am forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, why don't you ask him to forgive you tonight if you truly are running from him 
or you've squandered many an opportunity. Ask God for that forgiveness and you'll be a new creature in Him. Thank you, Father. I receive your gracious forgiveness. Thank you for the wounds of your Son for me. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ravi's message titled Atheism and Humanism, A Culture Without God. And if you'd like to order a copy, be sure to call us at 1-800-448-6766. You can also listen to this broadcast again or order this message from our online bookstore at rzim.org or rzim.ca for those in Canada. Our goal here at RZIM is to equip Christians to engage in earnest conversations with those who have questions about the Christian faith and to share the good news of the gospel with those around the world. You can partner with us by praying for our team. And if you'd like more information about our ministry, be sure to visit our website. Another great way to become better equipped is through the RZIM Academy. And here's Drew McNeil with more information. We want people to take the information they learn in our courses and become better prepared to answer questions themselves. We believe that the role that the individual plays when they go home, the follow-up questions, the questions that are more personal, the questions that aren't necessarily rational, but just need to be aired out in front of a listening ear, someone who's got the skills to lovingly respond and to give an answer and to help walk people through their questions and their objections. I believe that level of interaction is critical to what we want to see happen, and that's for more people to recognize that the Christian worldview is the most accurate description of reality. It points us directly to the God who created us, and it shows us how we can be reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ. For more information and to register for the next course, go to rzimacademy.org. Let My People Think is a listener-supported radio ministry that is furnished by Ravi Zacharias International Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. 